Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Wonderful hour. We've got uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner with me in studio, and we are going to continue our series on prayer. And I sure hope, Peter, this goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. Yeah, you know, I think I could. You and I have talked uh, quite a number of different times now recently that we really enjoyed the Salvation Series, and we talked about it being the sort of multifaceted diamond, right? Yeah. And it really was that. It had a lot of different dimensions of it. But then you break open the box on prayer. And just Google scripture verses on prayer, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we just read Resilient. those verses and not have really... And there's so many of them that I don't really know entirely what was the invitation of that verse related to prayer. There's so many different parts that I think we can get into, and I think our listeners will have a lot of questions about it, too. Yeah, and we're going back uh, to the uh, bullpen to one of our guests that was on our Salvation Series, Dr. David Clark. Yeah. He's going to be joining us today. Um, he uh, is, I think he's like almost retired Maybe. We'll ask for sure. I but think we need to, yeah. yeah. He, he served for a number of years, though, as different, you know, he, he's taught in churches forever. He's been deans of seminary. He's just, he's been around, he, he will certainly know his way around this topic. Yeah. And he's on our studio line right now. David, welcome back. Hey, it's great to be back. Thank you. And uh, am I correct? Are you little retired, uh, not retired, semi-retired? Well, <clears throat> Uh, someone has said that uh, retirement is not really a biblical concept, so I keep working away here. All right. But uh, I have moved out of full-time, and I'm doing about a three-quarters uh, role of teaching at Bethel Seminary, and then I'm having fun doing things like talking to you guys awesome. uh, during the week. So uh, I'm, I fully endorse that. Okay. Uh, sometimes I feel like I'm in some kind of conspiracy when I'm carving out time to pray. I, I go to concentrate, and I get distracted too soon and too easily. Mm. Do you struggle with prayer? I mean, is is it is it hard work for you? I don't think uh, there's very few people who would say no to that question. <laughs> uh, um, <clears throat> and I think it's one of those things that it's a little bit like, uh, you know, weightlifting. you got to practice and practice and practice and kind of get good at it. It's not the sort of thing that you just... Uh, you know, as you come out the birth canal, it's like, oh, yeah, I know how to do that. Uh, actually, uh, it's got a, it's sort of a learned skill and uh, t- definitely takes some practice. So so easy to say that it's uh, hard work and a discipline and a duty as well. Uh, the, the fact that they call things spiritual disciplines, you know, there's a reason for that. And it's interesting that the word discipleship uh, is a related word. And uh, all of us want to be discipled, you know, but none of us wants to be disciplined. So... Um, yeah, absolutely. Those are related words, and it's certainly related in real life as well. David, do you have uh, formative influences that have helped you in that journey of discipline and, and, and being discipled in your prayer life that you can refer to? Well, that's an interesting question. You know, I, um, I did read a book by Ben Patterson that was enormously helpful to me. Um, I've found insights from C.S. Lewis to be helpful on so many topics. He's, I think if there was one author who's influenced me more than any, anybody other than Jesus, we all know Jesus is the number one answer here, but um, you know, I think Lewis's uh, insights would be certainly helpful. Um, I have not done a lot of sort of reading on this. My reading tends to go in other directions, but uh, those are certainly a couple of formative influences. 
Mm-hmm. Basically, David, you know, as we're doing this series, and with you as our guest, we kind of want to learn every, everything you know about prayer in 54 minutes, so, <laughs> so, so start. Yeah, unfortunately, you know, it, it might be four or five minutes. But, uh, That's quite okay. Yeah. But as you, as you have journeyed through your prayer life, uh, obviously you, you have seasons where you feel like your, your prayer life is really strong, and other times when you feel like you're a little bit in a desert. When God's not answering your prayer, wh- where are you at? Yeah, you know, the, the notion that uh, petitions or requests are the sort of central or key element in prayer is one that I would push back on just a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, the idea that, well, God, every prayer has a request that God has got to answer. Um, you know, I think of, of it much more along the lines of coffee time that I have uh, in the morning with Sandy, my wife. Um, we get out of bed, we get ourselves organized for the day, put on a pot of coffee, and then spend some time just chatting. Now, sometimes there are requests in that conversation, but that wouldn't be the dominant motif, I would say, or the dominant activity of, the, of that time together. Uh, and so it helps me to imagine that uh, prayer is less about requesting and more about spending time together. That's lovely. Yeah. So how does so when you think about the relationship with God and, and just talking with God about your day like that, but but there's a sense in which it can feel a little monological in the sense that you're the one, you know, voicing the the conversation as opposed to when you and Sandy are having a conversation over coffee. It's back and forth with the two of you. How how do you develop though that kind of a relationship with God in which you are just simply talking with God about the things of your day. Yeah, and I, I think that the, um, the the key way to uh, to make it a dialogue is to stop talking. Mm. Um, so I think we've all been in conversations with people who you know never take a breath, and we think to ourselves, you know, John, take a breath at least, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And um, sometimes I can get that way, you know, just get on and on and on and r- rattling on and on. And I think uh, in my conversations with human beings, um, it, it, to be self-aware about the fact that, uh, you know, you've been talking a, a long time and you've been talking about yourself a long time. Uh, it's like, maybe I should stop. Maybe I should ask a question. Maybe I should say, you know, but enough about me. What about you? Uh, kind of a turn. And uh, I think the same thing can happen, you know, as we're talking with the Lord. It's like, I need to just pause, take a deep breath, uh, and let the Spirit kind of bring thoughts to my mind. Um, they can be stimulated by Scripture. They can be stimulated by reflection. Um, but basically, the key is stop talking. Does God speak then? Sort of like, I'm just kind of curious, like, what your perspective is. I know that there's sort of this mystery around hearing God's voice, but it, would you suggest that maybe even some of your thoughts and the reason why you end up having thoughts have their origin in God? I know some of the early church fathers talked about having your thought life come from uh, maybe either God or from the enemy or from yourself. Is that, a, is that a sort of a fair paradigm, and how do we know? Yeah, I think that I think that is a fair paradigm, and... Um, you know, Scripture talks about we talk, take every thought captive to Christ. Um, and so I, I do think that there is this notion that, um, you know, we, we allow uh, the thoughts of our mind uh, to, to process. Now, <clears throat> um, that does not mean that anything that pops into my mind is just directly from the Spirit. And so I think that there is both uh, the 
openness, which is very non-critical, non-judgmental, and open and receptive, and you just allow you know the spirit to speak. Uh, but since there are other possible influences, including uh, my own subconscious, uh, which the early church fathers didn't understand that, but there are lots of things going on, you know, underneath the conscious level of my mind that can generate ideas. Um, and uh, in some ways, you know, what's going on in the unconscious is a little bit like a sausage. You know, what's in there? We're not totally sure. There's all sorts <laughs> of stuff in there, you know. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so uh, we allow that stuff to, to burble up in reflection and sometimes even in journaling. So as you write uh, something down, just a thought, or maybe more formally, you keep a daily journal with dates and so forth. But that process, you know, pulls things out of uh, our, our minds. But after the first phase of being sort of uncritical, open, receptive, you know, don't criticize, this is brainstorming, don't criticize too quickly. Um, but there is a second phase where you say, now, wait a second, now, is that really biblical? Is that contradicting things that I, I'm pretty sure I know from Scripture? Uh, and there I might, um, in a second phase, be a little more evaluative, be a little more critical, and bring some judgment uh, onto those ideas. So if, I, if some idea comes up and it isn't wholesome and godly and, and the right thing for the right time or whatever, um, you know, I, I think that that critical phase would, would say, okay, that may be pretended to be from the Holy Spirit, but actually isn't. So put it on the back shelf and ignore that for now. Yeah, maybe one more quick thought on that, David. I think just I'm compelled when Jesus says something to the effect of, um, I am the good shepherd, my sheep hear my voice, and they know me. Was Do, do you sense he was referencing only the, the people of his day that he was speaking to, or is that a part of this invitation to, over time, when you're talking about this discernment process and this weighing process and letting bubbling things up, that you begin to, in, in better ways, uh, be able to distinguish the voice of the shepherd? Yeah, I do think that is a skill that, you know, is just learned by experience. So <clears throat> my mom lives in Florida. Mom and dad live in Florida. They're they're in their 90s doing great. Uh, and, uh, you know, when she calls and um, I pick up the phone and she says, hi, David. It's, you know, and before she says, it's mom, you know, I already know it's mom, <laughs> you know. Um, and how do we know that? I mean, we can go into big discussions about the epistemology of it, but the fact is we learn to recognize a person's voice because we've heard it multiple times before. So there is that kind of a evaluative or that kind of a natural, uh, a natural kind of ability that the Lord gives us to recognize other people. And I think the same thing is true here with, uh, with the Holy Spirit. And that's a learned skill. You know, you don't understand, you don't recognize somebody's voice the first time you hear them. I was at uh, a store the other day and all of a sudden somebody said, Oh, David, how are you? And, uh, I said, uh, I'm, I'm fine, and who are you? I can only see your eyes. And he said, well, I thought it was you, but I needed to hear your voice. And when you said something to the cashier, then, oh, I, then I knew it was you. And so I said, hello. And, uh, you know, that that is something we just learned by experience. And uh, But that doesn't mean we don't also use our critical judgment uh, to evaluate the things that uh, we hear and sort of use those two things together to uh, make wise judgments about what's, what is truly from the Lord and what isn't. I like that. We'll take a little break. We are in our, our prayer series with Dr. David Clark, Peter Kapter, and myself. We'll take a short break and be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Dr. David Clark is our guest in our prayer series. Peter Kapsner and I are uh, leading this. Well, hopefully it'll go on for months and months because we're loving the subject. David, let me ask you this. Does the Bible teach us as to uh, there being a right way to pray? I know the disciples at one point said, Lord, teach us to pray. So they didn't know. Uh, is, there, is there a way that we are guided by Scripture in the right way to pray? Well, I, I wouldn't want to say the right way in, in a really strong limiting sense as though, you know, there's there's a hundred ways to get this wrong, and you got to thread the needle here. Uh, I don't like the way I asked the question now, just so yeah, you know. Let, sorry, let, me, just, let me retract the question. I'm really dumping on your question here, and I'm really sorry for that. I didn't mean to do that, but... Uh, I think the the idea would be to say, you're right, Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, but we have many examples of prayer. I mean, Paul prayed a number of prayers. Uh, in fact, I did a senior Greek exegesis uh, paper on one of his prayers and just unpacked it, and it was unbelievably rich. So I think you can certainly look to the examples of uh, believers, Old Testament and New, uh, who are praying um, the Psalms are prayers, and uh, in many cases, so you know we've got those as examples as well. And I don't know that we have a lot of direct teaching. We have very short statements, like Paul says, "Pray without ceasing," you know, things like that. Uh, but um, if you put all that together, and you know, you, you consider all the the examples, all the little short comments here and there that are sort of almost offhand, um, as well as the teachings of Jesus specifically, there is a lot of material, I would say, in Scripture that can guide us in this. That's, that's something I've never thought about before, David, just that idea when the disciples say, teach me to pray or teach us to pray, he does give them that template, but it's not the way because Paul is filled with all kinds of different prayers uh, throughout his letters. So I'm curious, what did you learn when you dove into a bit of Paul's letters about prayer? Well, uh, the the specifics of what Paul prays about are in sometimes sometimes there are these grand um, you know theological concepts that sound so amazing and so brilliant and so all encompassing, and then they're very simple things like you know that uh, would have almost a character of the mundaneness. Uh, that it's like, my goodness, it seems that that topic is so mundane, it would be almost unworthy of, you know, bringing to the Almighty. And so you get this, you get this spread, this range, this incredible A to Z. Um, and I think that is suggestive uh, of the idea that you don't want to limit this to this is the run one right way to do it but rather you know it's as varied and as complex and as colorful and as beautiful as human conversation and uh, think about how complex and varied that is so that would be my uh, uh, maybe a first uh, clue there as to um, what we're going to gain from scripture on how to do this well and sometimes I think about Paul's sort of grand overarching prayers that you just referenced there, David, is that, and, and sometimes I think, gosh, I need to approach God in that way somehow in order to get him to listen a little bit uh, more more carefully to whatever is coming next. But Paul didn't seem to be approaching and using these sort of languages and these prayers and, and praises of God for that purpose, I'm guessing, at least at this point. Yeah, I don't think so. And I would say that uh, you know, anytime you're having a conversation with another person, 
and a human person or a divine person, I, I would see conversations as being parallel there. Um, and so what we do in our conversations with the human persons should maybe give us some clues, not that it's gospel, but it gives us some clues or ideas about relationships with, with our divine person. And I think the, the most one of the one of the key things that we want in our human conversations is that the conversation is honest and authentic. I mean, we don't want somebody, you know, putting on a show in the conversation. In fact, that kind of is a turnoff. We, we'd rather have the person just be real and be straightforward. One of the problems with social media is that people clean up their image, you know, and uh, present a picture of themselves that isn't real. And what we want is reality. And I would say the same is true with God as well. I mean, he, he wants the real me, not the cleaned up me that has sort of gone through the marketing department uh, to make <laughs> me look better than I am. Um, in James chapter 5, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Mm. When you look at that verse, uh, David, do you, do you see that, that what we're being prayed for is that we're being prayed to heal from our sins? Yeah, that that is a uh, verse that has been interpreted alternatively by uh, different denominational traditions and theological traditions, and some, uh, you know, really have focused on physical healing as as the key element, you know, that James has in mind there, um, so that you can be healed of diseases and sicknesses and so forth. Um, <clears throat> I, I, because the context is, you know, sins and um, confession and uh, praying for one another in that context, I, I tilt toward, and you know, this is not something that I've done a great deal of detailed exegesis on, but my, my initial read on that is that it focuses on the kinds of hurts and damage that happen as we sin against each other. Um, and so maybe in modern terms, we could think of emotional wounding and relational breakdown and um, what the kind of healing that is focused on here is healing that is relational and healing our relationships, healing our emotions and bringing us back into right relationship with each other. And if I have sinned against you and I confess my sin and, and you pray for me and I pray for you, there is going to be a beautiful rebonding of our friendship and relationship in that context. And so that's kind of how I, I have tilted in interpreting that as opposed to a kind of, you know, if we confess our sins uh, and pray for each other, then, you know, my gout will be uh, healed up. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and David, we had you on as part of the Salvation series, too. And is there any connection in that passage with even the idea of salvation? I was very intrigued when you, you talked about uh, to avoid a thin view of salvation, that there's a very robust thing happening with that. And even the word salve, if I have my, my Greek correct, it has to do with sort of this healing dimension of salvation. Is that potentially part of what's going on here? Yeah, you know, it could be. I mean, I think that the uh, audience here is primarily believers, and so it wouldn't be the initial part of salvation, which is the conversion, uh, you know, being born again, regenerated, uh, justification, those things that happen sort of at the moment you enter into this beautiful relationship that we call salvation. But uh, I do think that salvation does include spiritual and relational and emotional uh, healing. Um, because if we think about, 
you know, two persons, if I sin against you and you sin against me, uh, there is, on the one hand, when I sin against you, there's the guilt that I incur. But on the other hand, there's also the, the damage and the hurt mm. and the wounding that you incur because I've sinned against you. Mm. And I think that the cross deals with that whole complex, not just with my guilt, not just taking away my guilt, forgive me of my sins, but it, there, there is resource within the cross and within the resurrection for for the result of my sin against you, in you, the wounding, the hurt that you've experienced, the damage that you've experienced, that also can be resolved uh, through the cross. And so I think if we think of that thicker view of salvation, uh, and this is part of the sanctification process, not the initial conversion process, I think you could draw the connection of that emotional, spiritual, relational healing as an aspect, as a part of the process of a person being made whole and being fit for heaven and eternal connection and presence with God. All right, so let me ask you this, uh, David. In uh, Sticking in James, and we're, I'm still in chapter 4, or I'm back in chapter 4, um, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Um, that gets to be kind of a fine line. I know a lot of people that pray for specific things, and I, I never say to them, hmm, I'm, uh, is that the right motive you should be having? Uh, but how often are we guilty of that? Hmm. I think yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you say that when we come back from the break. But uh, I also want to open up the text line to anybody who might have a question. We're going to continue our series on prayer for a while, and that means you can ask questions of any kind about prayer. I already had one come in that I'd like to share after the break. But you can send the text questions to 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. If you like uh, doing email, you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. Dr. David Clark is our guest, and uh, Peter Kapsner is here with me, and we're going to... Um, Take a little break, but when we come back, uh, we'd love to get your questions, and we'd love to hear from you. Again, 877-933-2484. Be right back. back to the show. We're back in our prayer series, series uh, week number two. Dr. Peter Kapsner and myself are hosting with uh, Dr. David Clark, who's been nice enough to join us. He was with us on the Salvation Series, 
and he scored way above average on that. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He did. But, I, but I'm curious. You, you've got a pretty tough one coming here from the, what was the Book of James that we went to before the break, right? I'm really curious what David's going to say about this. I did. I kind of queued it up. And the uh, the idea was when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Oh, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. How often do you uh, think that's a problem, David? I think uh, it's probably 73.9% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, you know, I think that a statement like that is uh, is not intended to be a, a sort of absolute. It's not all the time, and we have to put in balance the fact that uh, we are, on the other hand, asked or we are encouraged, we are invited uh, to pray about you know the simplest and, and most uh, sort of mundane kinds of things. Um, so I, I think that there is, um, on the one hand, uh, you know when we get into this area of prayer that has to do with petition, and I've already argued that it's not always that. Mm. (laughs) There are other things in addition to asking for things. But when we are asking of the Lord, there is a sense in Scripture that we should ask robustly. And Mm. I think of the parable of the woman who's banging on the door of the judge who, uh, you know, trying to get some sleep, but she keeps banging, 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 and finally he wakes up and he gives her what she wants because she's been persistent. So this is encouragement to be persistent in prayer as well. And I think you could maybe make a distinction between uh, the kinds of things that, you know, are sort of uh, honorable and legitimate and the kinds of things that are sort of frivolous and not really honorable. So on the one hand, you might say, uh, you know, give us food. Well, that's that's a normal and honorable and non-frivolous, non-trivial kind of thing. It's included in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. So, uh, you know, that would certainly be something legitimate to, to, to be praying about. Uh, I think, for instance, if uh, I had a child that was wayward, that wasn't following the Lord, that was getting in trouble, you know, this is a very legitimate thing for a father or a mother to be praying about. And um, even in a small way, if, if it, we're talking about a two-year-old who seems to be, you know, having too many temper tantrums, more than normal. I mean, this is something that the Lord delights to have us discuss with him and to bring before him. If, uh, you know, I, I've got a perfectly decent vehicle, but I'm lusting after a uh, a brand new Maserati or something of that nature, you know, I think the James passage, James 4 passage would, would clearly uh, apply to something like that, which just seems uh, frivolous and luxurious and completely outside of what a person ought to be asking for. So it's not a hard and fast rule, but you can make that kind of distinction, I think. Um, and basically, James 4 is teaching us that the Lord is not a vending machine. And, you know, we shouldn't be thinking of the encouragement to ask for the things that are on our hearts to mean that, oh, great, so I can, you know, I can just become materialistic and selfish and uh, ask for all those kinds of things. So, David, I'm glad you brought up the woman petitioning the judge, because also in that chapter is the man who's banging on his neighbor's door because he's got a friend coming over and he wants some bread. And because he's persistent, the man gets out of bed at midnight and helps him. Is that a model for how God wants us to approach him? Um, is that is that God saying to us, this is how I want you to come to me. Be persistent. Bang on my door. I, I think the short answer to that is yes. But let's put a proviso on here and uh, just be sure that as we interpret parables, 
uh, we do so with uh, good principles of Bible interpretation here. Uh, parables are not allegories, and so you can't learn six or eight things from a parable. A parable is supposed to have sort of one point. Okay. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, if you think about the neighbor or the judge in both of these two stories, clearly their motives for answering the request are almost like self-centered. Like, I just don't want to be bothered, and if I could, if I just, you know, cave in and give this little request, then I'm going to get a good night's sleep. And it just seems like the, their reason for answering the prayer is kind of, um, it's, it's certainly beneath God. So what we learn from this parable, you know, is just one thing. Be persistent. Hang in there. Don't give up. Uh, the Lord, you know, wants us to continue uh, in prayer. And that's all we learn. And I think it's really important as we learn these, as we study these parables to make sure we don't try to uh, squeeze too many uh, insights out of them when, when Jesus is just making a very simple point. I see that as being so bold, not annoying, but bold. I'm just going to be bold. I'm going to keep knocking. I, I think that boldness uh, along with persistence, you know, makes a lot of sense. And uh, here we would, I think, Sometimes people are going to say, um, I don't think this request is worthy, and I don't think I should bring this before the Lord. I'm going to bring the big things before the Lord, but the little things of my life I'm just going to handle on my own. And one of the things we're encouraged to do is just to share all of life with the Lord, Um, not our selfish desires, not our materialism, not our desire to be, uh, you know, to gain things that this world would put high value on. Uh, but the simple things of life that are legitimate and good and wholesome and rich, uh, the Lord wants to share that with us as well, not just the big things. I think there's a sense in which, too, when people are asking God uh, for some sort of wisdom or direction or something along those lines, that uh, the persistence in the midst of, of not sensing that you have an answer or a direction yet might be one thing. But what if you sort of are sensing a no on something and, and you know that the answer is no, uh, appropriate to continue to persist in that place? Yeah, I think that uh, it's possible for us to think about uh, prayers sort of having two answers, yes or no. Uh, And I think it would be uh, helpful for us to realize that um, there can be other answers like not now or possibly, but let's wait. Um, Or yes, but how about in a different way or different form? You know, so... the the answers can be more creative than just sort of a straight, flat no and an absolute yes. And so um, if it feels like the answer is no, um, uh, maybe we continue to pray, but uh, the answer can come in a different way. Let's give an example of this. Let's suppose that, um, you know, I feel as though the Lord is really calling me into a teaching ministry, and I'm asking the Lord to... Uh, give me this job teaching at this Christian high school, let's just say. So I, I really have my thoughts set on this. My idea, my, uh, I really have my hopes and dreams all set on this. And, and the answer to that is no. But it turns out that the Lord really is calling me to be a teacher, but he wants me to teach, you know, in my church. Uh, and uh, instead of teaching high school students at the school uh, for pay, I should be teaching them at church as a volunteer. And I would continue to pray about that, but find that the Lord is, yes, I do want you to teach, but not in that location and not in that particular job, but over here in this job. 
So let's keep talking until, you know, we find our way to the thing that really is the calling that the Lord has in mind. And that would be a much more dialogical process, not just yes or no. But uh, yes, but not there. Let's try over here and maybe in this form. I think that could be a place where, you know, we want to stay with the task, uh, even though there is somewhat of a no in that first response from the Lord. Hmm. And David, if we flip the script then a little bit in our conversations with God about this, uh, I've always been curious, and I've seen some of the different theories, but I don't know where I would land on it, in terms of when Moses uh, goes to God and and God is saying that he is going to wipe out his people, he's going to start again with Moses, and and Moses then, I don't want to say persuades God to change his mind, because I I think that would be um, not necessarily what the text is saying, but God does then change his mind, and some of the even, the, the text will say things like God relented or even God repented are some of the translations. You also see a changing of the mind um, with, his, with, with King Hezekiah, who God had sent Isaiah to tell him to get your affairs in order. And Hezekiah said, hey, I've been a pretty good king for a while. Can I have some more time? And, and that time is granted. So do you have any insights into some of those passages? I know they come up sometimes for our listeners, and, and I haven't seen a real satisfactory answer on some of that. Well, that's uh, that's a tall order there. You haven't ever found a satisfactory answer, so uh, <laughs> you know th- these are interpreted variously, um, and um, there are some people who really have this concept that God didn't didn't know what was going to happen here, and sort of gets caught off guard, uh, and uh, oh my goodness, well I didn't think of that. Okay, let's. Yeah, I'll change my mind and go with what you're saying here. Thanks for the insight, Moses. (laughs) You know, I think we all understand that God who is infinitely knowing is not going to have that kind of surprise. Um, And at the same time, I think that the Bible is quite clear that uh, God changes his behavior in response to our response. Um, And so I think of, uh, like Jonah is an example, and Mm. Jonah is out there preaching that God is going to just you know, bring judgment against Nineveh, uh, but the Ninevites repent, and then God doesn't bring the judgment. So, well, God changed his mind. And I think what I would say is that the initial, the initial statement is, is conditional. If you don't repent, then there will be judgment. But they did repent, and so there is no judgment. Well, God's actions changed, not because he suddenly gained some new insight or he was dumbfounded by something that Jonah <laughs> shares with him, but rather that, you know, human action occurs and then God responds to the response. Uh, and I think that is uh, certainly worthy of a God who knows all things, um, as opposed to uh, this idea that God is suddenly caught, caught off guard and caught by surprise and so suddenly has to change his mind like you and I would <laughs> because mm. we, you know, we lack good information or whatever. Mm. Um, so at least that's a helpful thought. God responds to our responding and it's interactive. And therefore, many of the things that he declares are, if nothing changes, then this is how I'm going to behave. But then, of course, something may change. Mm. Bill, that's among the most satisfactory responses I've heard on that's that. Very that very yeah. satisfactory. very satisfactory. I like I'm that. liking that a lot. So, David, a listener said, hearing the voice of God is very rare. It happened, and I can't say it, it doesn't happen now. However, in 4,000 years of the biblical text, it's still very rare, and there was never any doubt who was speaking with you. What do you think about uh, people today that will say, I heard the audible voice of God yesterday? Right. 
Well, I, I would make a distinction between hearing the voice of God and hearing an audible voice of God. Now, uh, the idea that one would hear from God and that the idea that that is rare, um, I think would probably be referring to that specific kind of, um, you know, an audible, uh, like the, the clouds part and God speaks and I hear the voice with my ears, my physical ears. Yeah, that's that's more rare. Um, I would say that uh, when we hear from the Lord, it is more often this inner conversation. Uh, and I think that is not rare. Uh, that's something that can be as uh, a much a part of our daily experience um, as uh, having a conversation with a friend or a family member. Mm-hmm. I know this is kind of an intimate question I'm about to ask, but do you remember the last time you heard that voice in your prayer life or in your day and you thought, ooh, that's the Lord talking to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say I have never heard an audible voice right. in the same sense that I'm hearing your voice in this conversation. Um, but yeah, I I do think, uh, you know, that as I've made decisions about um, how to uh, end my Uh, teaching at Bethel. So I was the dean for a while, and this goes back to my retirement question, and, you know, I have to decide, am I going to retire? How's that going to work? Well, I I ended that, but uh, there was an opportunity uh, in in my employer's uh, HR manual for a person to say, I'd like to take a a three-year plan that allows me to work three-quarters time uh, you know, it's a reduced salary kind of thing, but it's sort of a phased retirement plan. Now, do I take that or do I just stop? And I really felt, you know, that I wasn't done yet. I didn't feel like uh, the Lord was saying, you know what, you should you should quit and do something completely different. And so those are, those are the decisions that you pray through, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, then this past year, that three-year phase retirement period was was concluding. So now what's next? And again, you know, as you reflect, uh, as I pray, um, you know, I feel the Lord has a lot more for me to do in terms of teaching and connecting. And so uh, as I journey through this process of going from a a a 60-hour-a-week job as the dean uh, to a a 40-hour-a-week job as a a professor to a a 25-hour-a-week job as a sort of adjunct professor, um, you know, I could stop, I could keep going. What do I do? Well, this is something that you're in conversation with the Lord about, and it's not just a two-minute conversation like, should I, what should I do? And he says, well, do this. Like, okay, great. Well, then we're done. <laughs> you know, it's something that's sort of ongoing, and you continue to evaluate and, and listen for the Lord. Uh, and I have this deep sense that um, I'm not finished uh, with the teaching ministry, and uh, so I'm um, continuing to look for opportunities to do that. And having a conversation with two friends on uh, KTIS radio is just a part of that. Very nice. Yeah, Very indeed. nice. Indeed. All right, David, I'm going to take a break. I did have a listener wanted to know that book you referenced in the first segment. Uh, Peter asked you if there was a any particular book that were, was influential to you, and you said it out loud, and she would like to hear the name of it again. We can do that. What is it? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I thought you were telling me we're going to come back after the break. Now, well, this we'll, is, we'll do it before the break. Okay, sure. So this is uh, Ben Patterson, who is a pastor, and um, 
he he has uh, this wonderful book about um, conversations with the Lord, and I'm going to look it up to make sure I've awesome. got the exact uh, title here. Good. We'll, uh, we'll talk about it when we come back. That sounds great. All right. We'll, we'll take a that. short break and be right back. Welcome back. Our, our friend, Dr. David Clark, is our guest today on our Per series. Peter Kapsner and I are co-hosting this and having a blast. Um, interesting passage or interesting um, message came in. I first want to get the name of your book, though, for Mary. Right. So a couple of things from Ben Patterson here. And the one I specifically have found so beautiful is deepening your conversation with God, learning to love to pray. That's Ooh. what I was trying to get that, I like that. Uh, I like it. subtitle there. Uh, so that was a great deal of fun. But um, I love also another book that he's got called Muscular Faith. And I think what that suggests is that, you know, like willpower is a muscle, right? It's something that you have to actually exercise it to get better at it. And so there's this idea that uh, you can sort of strengthen your capacity for hearing God, for living by faith, uh, for prayer by practice. So practice makes perfect here. Mm-hmm. There's one that I was not familiar with, and I love the title, and I think I'd like to throw it out there for your listeners, which is called Waiting, Finding Hope When God Seems Silent. Mm. So Patterson has uh, a little uh, trio of books there that might be uh, helpful to someone. Okay. Another uh, listener chimed in with this, uh, David. I thought this was good. Our pastor last Sunday challenged us to go to a hospital parking lot and pray for the staff and patients inside who are battling covid I thought this was a very practical idea, and we are engaging in spiritual warfare when we do this. Yep, I agree with that, um, and uh, really think <clears throat> that praying episodically for specific situations that are, uh, you know, part of uh, what's challenging us as a nation, as a community, as a world, as a family. I mean, these are uh, these are definitely uh, positive things that can be done. It's sort of like the the prayer walking idea where, you know, you're just praying specifically for uh, a neighborhood and the process of walking sort of reminds you of uh, the needs and the opportunities in that neighborhood. And so, yeah, that's a great way to be reminded of uh, what to pray for. And and David, are there stories uh, from Scripture, references in Scripture passages, too, to think about what prayer does in in the spiritual realm, how how it impacts maybe uh, some of the darkness around us in the in the realm of the spirit, or, or the, this kind of influence in that space. Any anything you can refer to to give us some insight about that? Sure, and you know the the prayer of a righteous man, a righteous person, accomplishes much. Uh, we're we're told. Um, I, I think that uh, when we look at the um, example of Jesus, a, a whole other aspect to get into here, uh, you know, it's, it's clear that early in the morning he went out and prayed, right? He would get ready, sort of ready for the day, um, ready for the, the battles of the day, which would include uh, overcoming sickness, overcoming opposition, overcoming uh, demonic activity. Uh, he would sort of get himself geared up by refreshing his relationship with the Father. 
Um, so definitely this idea of um, it, prayer is not just an after-the-fact, but a preparatory, before-the-fact kind of uh, activity as well uh, can be something that we could all practice. I know I have some friends of mine, too, that will uh, occasionally talk about just praying over their house, for example. Maybe they've purchased a new house and it, it was a house where they didn't know the past of the house or anything along those lines. Uh, how, how do you process that sort of idea to sort of pray through the house, go room by room? Some of the practices that I know, I'm sure many of our believers actually are familiar with or, or have people that have done. Yeah, I, I certainly would support that. I cannot say that I've personally done that. Um, that's not a practice that I have practiced, but that doesn't mean anything. I think it is a legitimate kind of uh, approach to do that. Uh, and, you know, again, the, the example of Jesus, uh, he, would, uh, he would indicate that um, there are certain locations where there's greater faith, less faith, uh, and, uh, you know, he would uh, certainly pray for uh, people who seem to be lost and, and uh, being led astray by the evil one. Uh, so we just have examples of all sorts of um, of activities like that, and and again, this goes back to sort of our opening conversation. I don't want to limit prayer to just one very specific kind of thing, but just whatever you're concerned about, whatever is of importance to you. You know, the Lord wants to talk with you about it, just as a human friend would want to talk with you about the things that are important to you. Mm. And David, maybe just one more sort of on this vein, and, and we don't have a ton of time left, so this is maybe a bigger question than we can handle right now. But I know obviously when our loved ones and people that we know get sick or in our prayer chains, we, we hear of an illness and that prayer chain gets activated. I just sort of talk to us about how do we handle situations where people are sick and sometimes they, they do get better or are healed and sometimes they don't. Uh, any way and in, in wisdom to sort of provide to how to process that? Yeah, there is a... Um an approach to theology which says that, you know, when you pray in faith, uh, there's kind of a guarantee that there will be healing. And I've always resisted that way of thinking about it. Um, I think that the concept that we can sort of automatically assume that there's going to be a, a guarantee, um, it, it encourages us, it tempts us to think about God as a vending machine. Mm. And I want this, and I punch the right button, and here we go. Um, it's a little bit like the difference, or, you know, it's a little bit like magic. And magic incantations, you know, uh, are, are assumed that if you, uh, if you sort of recite the right words and in the right sequence and do the, do the magic, do the incantation just right, you can guarantee the outcome. Uh, and that, what that really does is to put the magician in charge of the relationship. Mm. And, you know, I think in prayer, we have to understand that the Lord is the one who's sovereign here and not, not me. And uh, so it's not like I can push the button in the right set of sequences and, uh, and, and out pops an answer. Uh, so that said, I, I would really push back against any kind of theology where there is a sort of a, a guarantee that if I pray, boom, we get the answer. On the other hand, we balance that with the admonition of Scripture that uh, we are encouraged to pray uh, for the things that are of concern for us. And certainly people we love who have, uh, who have uh, diseases, We, Sandy and I have a list right now of some folks that you know, we just really care about and they're suffering deeply and we do pray for them. 
some of them are people who we know what the diagnosis is and other people we don't know what the diagnosis is. And, you know, you raise this up before the Lord because it's of concern to you. And at the same time, we understand that the Lord is sovereign. He can answer as he chooses. Uh, and sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes it's no. Sometimes it's later. Sometimes it's wait. Sometimes it's yes, but not in quite the way you're thinking. Um, and uh, this should not discourage us from praying, but it shouldn't encourage us either to think that by prayer, we're going to be able to uh, get exactly what we want, uh, you know, in sort of a uh, magical kind of way. David, can you uh, close us in prayer? <laughs> what a great, what a great way to to close out. And thank you for uh, having me on again today. It's always fun to talk with you. Thank you. And uh, let's let's offer a quick prayer. Lord, we thank you for this time together. I try to just pray right now that you will uh, particularly bless. Uh, this program. Thank you for Bill and Peter for their leadership in this, uh, in this, and I pray that you will encourage them in the work that they're doing to help others. I also pray for our listening audience today, and who knows uh, all the concerns and needs and issues that are part of the lives of those who are listening today. Uh, I do not know these things, Lord, however you do, and we trust in that, and we ask for your blessing and response and engagement, uh, and will you journey with uh, the, your, the listeners today who have special needs, uh, give them the, the things that they need to, uh, to live their lives well and to, to glorify you in how they live. Hmm. Thank you for our time together, and uh, we pray for your continued presence with us in Jesus' name. Thank you so much, Amen. David. That wraps up our show for the day. Have a great night, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.